Welcome. I'm your host, Adam Bailey, and I'm a commercial drone operator in the UK. This podcast looks into the UK drone industry, the people, the companies, and what's going on out there. All my guests play a major part in the industry. Welcome to the UK Commercial Drone Podcast. Welcome back to the pods. Today I have with me Mark Jarman. Welcome to the pods. Can you introduce yourself to us, please? Sure. So I'm Mark Jarman. I'm a head of Earth Observation for the uh, satellite applications Catapult. Been working with drones for ooh, the last six or seven years. Previously for a startup entity, Ursular Agriculture, we were very much using drones and satellites for precision farming. Seen the sector snowball quite a bit, change, diversify. Now very much working in the space side of things, but trying to embrace and see how we can help the UAV sector complement satellite imaging. And you're also the vice chairman of RPSOC, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, the UK Remote Sensing and Photogrammetry Society. So it's kind of the UK's learned society for remote sensing, earth observation, photogrammetry. So I'm now vice chairman, we'll be for the next three years. And we have a membership of about 700 around the world will become the future chairman and UAVs are a key interest area that the society has. We have a special interest group around it. I would encourage anybody listening to, to think about joining. So can you tell us a bit more about that special interest group, what they're doing with drones and how they're looking at things with regard sure. to the sensing and the photogrammetry? There's the research aspect. So you've got a lot of universities in the UK are very much embracing and interested in the technology, both from an operational perspective, from a platform perspective, looking at new sensors, but also working with end users to say, actually, okay, how do we help them embrace the technology? Because we can derive a lot of nice information from it. But ultimately, a lot of people don't want pictures. They want the value that can be ascertained because it's quite a new emerging area with a lot of research needs to go into it and the society is there to really embrace that and showcase it so the special interest groups probably existed for the last five years it started i think its first meeting was in durham back in 2012 and that was very much a showcase of actually providers turning up to you know flying and people going oh that's great you know we've got a uav and then actually now it's very much kind of what is the cutting edge research that's going on. So the conference has been in the UK for the last few years, but this year it's actually going to be in Portugal, which is quite exciting for the society. It's, it very much links itself in with institutes. So last year it was the University of Worcester that led it. And this year there's an organization in Portugal that, uh, that coordinates it. So is that really looking at what can be done with the information that's gathered from the drones rather than what the drones themselves are doing? I think a bit of both. I'd say a lot of it's information driven because you look at the technology side and you see how quickly it's moving on. Can research actually compete with technology? Therefore, actually, people looking at it, I go, well, the sensors are getting better. The platforms are getting better. Therefore, actually, the research opportunities are, are increasing. So we can actually get better quality information. Market users are wanting to embrace it. They're wanting to then go and form collaborations with academic institutes. And all in all, everything moves on. And what kind of sectors are we looking at using that information, that, those data sets that are coming? Everything from, from agriculture. So actually looking at, you know, you've got a very timely information source. So, you know, you put a, a UAV in the air, you can get information there and then. How does that complement satellite information, which is much more on a uh, standard rotation or you know aspect in terms of orbit? Going to be there in four to six days. UAV can go up in a matter of minutes, but actually they should be working very complementary to you know construction. We're seeing a lot more operation now in urban environments and permissions to actually operate there. So you, you know, the likes of Amazon wanting to push you know 
logistics and actually moving parcels around. So you've got some huge industry players wanting to embrace the technology, challenging the regulators. And then you've got the research community actually saying, well, hang on a minute, it's all great with commercial leading everything. You've got to underpin it with some real science for a lot of these applications. You work within agriculture, people don't want picture agriculture, they want clear agronomic value. So it's understanding what that data means. It's no good just going out and collecting it. It's being able to give a value output at the end of the capture itself. And that's the the same experience as the drone sector is having. It's the same one that the, the, the space sector is having. You've got a lot of industry providers out there, Digital Globes, Airbus, who've been for years just churning out imagery. And now everybody's saying, we don't care about the imagery. It's the information that's within it. And how do you serve that up in a way that tells me something, some actionable intelligence? People in many market sectors are very reactive. And now it's kind of, we've got all this data, we've got all this information. We should be using it clever and proactive. So it's flipping it all on its head. Yeah, I, I certainly see it in my sector on the built environment surveys. We're not just going out there and flying a drone around the building. We're actually looking at elements for our clients and giving them a value add that they couldn't get. Traditional. I think I can see that's why probably in a UAV sense, the market traction in the business case is it stacks up in that kind of infrastructure survey environment world because you can see the obvious benefits. You remove the human need to be there and actually you can then really target that resource to actually, you see a problem issue on a building or a wind turbine and therefore you can send specific people to specific sites. You're making big business savings. From my perspective on interest in agriculture, you can see why the uptake has been a bit slower because everybody was very fixated on the technology. As soon as they've seen past that, and actually they want real actionable insight, it needs proving, it needs validation, and you need to understand what it means. And that doesn't come from imagery, it comes from the whole bigger picture. So are you looking at collaborations between researchers and commercial operators at the moment? For my two hats as being so from society perspective, it's great because we have you know swathe from academia right the way through into into industry. There's a lot of research going on. It's, you know, we should do more in terms of publicizing that. And obviously working for, for the satellite applications catapult, you know, we exist as a very neutral non-profit entity. You know, we exist between as a, as a bridge between commercial and research. And actually we have the opportunity to really not just embrace you know, satellite applications, but also the UAV arena and help make changes that will hopefully lead to the whole industry increasing. And we've got a very UK focus, work all over the world, but if we can help the UK UAV community grow, we are doing a fantastic thing because you know, from my experience of working for a startup, you see the US businesses who've got great marketing machines behind them, hoovering up investment and actually are in, you know, very much my perception at the forefront of things. We don't want to see that. We want to see the UK entities really growing as well. I'm guessing it's not just RGB sensors we're talking about. We're talking about multispectral, thermal. True colour image, very high resolution, visual is great. People can understand it, interpret it and make real qualitative decisions. When you're moving into you know, advanced spectral analyses and multispectral, hyperspectral, thermal, fluorescence, you know, whatever it is, um, it gets interesting. But it always has to be, what is the user requiring? And therefore, let's work backwards from that. And so it's not just about putting toys in the sky. You're looking no, for that I mean, commercial output. That yeah, yeah. And, and that, I think, is, is an issue still facing not just the UAV community, but also the space community in that often it's a solution looking for a question. Yeah. And actually, when you just simply engage with the user, you quite quickly go, well, that's their need. This is the right tool for the job rather than saying, I've got a UAV and I can do X, Y, and Z with it. And they're going, great, but I want this and you can't deliver it to me. 
So stop trying to push a solution that isn't valid, you know, valid. And that's the same thing with a lot of satellite providers. They do the same thing and go, I've got a 30 centimeter satellite um, and I want to use it for this. And you can use you do amazing things with it, but it costs you eight grand an image and you're going to go, well, that's business case wise. So why would I use it? So it's got to be commercially viable. Yeah. So talking about projects and outputs, I know you're involved with Project Ursula. Can you give us background on that and what it was all about? So Project Ursula was a two-year research and development project funded by Welsh Government, basically set up between two SMEs, so Environment Systems, who are kind of a remote sensing consultancy based in West Wales, who I, I used to work for, and uh, Callanan's uh, Consulting, are based in Salisbury, you know, very much cutting edge of UAV work. They picked up a research project that had been done by Aberystwyth University in Connecticut and Boeing, basically all about how can we use UAVs for precision farming. And so, well, actually, there is a lot of value here. You know, we face this big global food security issue. We have to embrace new technology. UAVs are a fast, disruptive form of getting information. Let's see what we can do here. So that was uh, starting in 2011. And by 2013, the decision had made we would create a commercial entity called Ursula Agriculture off the back of it. We could see there was huge market potential. You've got businesses in the States like Precision Hawk starting to emerge. You've got businesses in France like Aeronov. You think, well, actually, growers are very interested because they can get information when they want it. The business case, in theory, should stack up. You know, it was fantastic. We got engaged with everybody from the farmer level right the way through to the global conglomerates like PepsiCo, Syngenta's. Actually, all want to say, we want to use this technology. Some great things, you know, a lot of the US business like Precision Hawk said, well, you know, Ursula was brokering the market. We were uh, overstretching ourselves in terms of we were doing everything from broccoli to wheat to cauliflower, you know, you name it. It was great fun, but it wasn't successful. And that, you know, we, we unfortunately weren't sustainable because of that business had some failings in terms of we were trying to do too much. So do you think if it was more focused on specific areas, it would have been more successful? I, I believe so. And I think the other, the other issue is agriculture is a slower moving market. You know, you go and do some work with a big potato producer. You know, you say to them, we'll get some data this season. And you want to then say, well, actually, this information allows you to do X and will increase, you know, can potentially increase yields by two, three percent. Well, actually, to go back into that field, it could be seven years. So you think, well, actually, UK agriculture isn't conducive to proving. It's a slower burn. So were we in the right market? And should we have actually changed geography in the way we actually approached it? Another location in the world that's got bigger agriculture. Well, I look at the Swiss business, Gamaya, very much focusing on, on UAV type technologies, hyperspectral sensing. And the analytics piece probably came later. But they said, we're not bothering with Europe. We're, we're going to get to Brazil. We're going to look at uh, sugarcane and soybean. That's industrial agriculture. UK is nice, little small proving ground. Very interesting, a lot of high profile players here, but you're not going to make masses of money here. You're going to have to think about the global picture. So, for those small entrepreneurial UAV operators in the UK, Agri is probably not the sector for them to be looking at. I think it's the ability to do things at scale to be successful here. The latest business that I've seen doing it, which I actually think are, are going to make a real go of it and be successful, will be Hummingbird Technologies. They've got the right credibility from an agronomic, agricultural sector perspective with, with, with Velcro behind them. And they've basically said, right, we're going to get a huge land bank and we are going to contract out as much of it to local operators as possible. We've got the data analysis, we've got the right sensor, we've got the right equipment, we can turn around the information. 
we've got agronomists on board, we can actually really make the right business proposition. We understand they've done the research, done the development piece. They're trying to basically do what Ursula was unsuccessful, but actually give it some focus. And I think they will succeed and then be able to actually compete in the global scene with the aeronauts, with the precision hawks, because they've got the right toolkit behind them. So it's not all over for the small operator because they can obviously subcontract to companies like... If you're you know, an individual entity or a one or two-man band and such, it would be very difficult to really enter them from the agricultural sector because actually people want information at scale. People will always want a few pictures here and there, but it's actually how do they provide a real sustainable global service? You know, I look at drone deploying with their algorithm market and the way they are trying to actually provide, you know, let users access real agronomic value and information and products. And that's, you know, that, that will allow people to sustain themselves. But in terms of anything bigger than the farmer level, going and working with the McCain's of this world who will be growing thousands of hectares all over the UK, small operator can't service that and therefore is it appropriate for them to look at the market or should they actually be going and say well actually we've got businesses like hummingbird other specialist market businesses who are looking for operators to go and supply and, and service them and is it mainly fixed wing drones that are being used in this sector or is there multi-rotors being used you have to say multi-rotor i think it's what more people are familiar with just the the operational logistics of a fixed wing platform make it even though to me it's the more of the appropriate tool i think people perceive the rotary is the easier platform to use and therefore that's what they want to embrace it's that perceived value you know rather than the actual value you, just, you look at the sheer cost of platforms to buy a fixed wing and the business case for me just doesn't stack up piece of triangular foam against something that's carbon fiber and yet it's cheaper yeah yeah you look at you know go and buy a phantom and the farmer said i can get some fantastic data from it and you can yes it's much more localized and really is it a scalable tool but spending you know thousand fifteen hundred quid versus 20 grand well i know what i'd go and invest in right now rather than then so i, I mean there's, there's a vineyard down there where I'm from and uh, always wanted to fly up, up and down there collecting data from them but I can never find the right tool set for them. I think the only way we are really going to grow at, you know, use of fixed wing is changing regulation, moving to be online of site operation and then it's a no-brainer because then you can do wider area survey because at the moment regulation you think well 400 feet, 500 meters, I've got you know farm 400 hectares I'm going to take 18, 19 flights, four days to go and fly it. Well, let's change it to be online a site. One flight, job done. Make it autonomy, make it, you know, then it, then it gets interesting. So do you see that as the barrier at the moment? Regulations, regulations need to change. Big time. I think that's a key, key focus area for the Catapult in you know, my new role is actually how do we really integrate within that kind of you know, universal traffic management system. So we're allowing these things to routinely operate and how do we think about the infrastructure to allow that to happen because as soon as you can operate bigger platforms that have got longer duration well then actually you're just tapping into data sources and then you can complement it with localized operation if you've got a bigger platform well then you've got national mapping agencies like the os well if they can just be tapping into it they can be updating your infrastructure server like network rail i know all the survey actually do have a uav team yeah, yeah. so you know so they're obviously looking into that themselves um, we didn't touch on this earlier. You're a chartered geographer. Do you see the UAVs will be a normal tool set for mapping and geography 
purchases? I think the, the way the whole remote sensing arena is going is much more to actually let's forget where the data is coming from, whether it, you know, it's almost, it should be irrelevant. You know, if you've got a satellite data set, so you've got all this free data from the you know, European Space Agency and the Sentinel missions and you're great, but that's lower resolution. You've got these high resolution satellites. You've then got people talking about higher to pseudo satellites, haps. You've then got UAVs and you think, well, why are we all not just creating a system whereby just users have just got a, a measurement requirement or a product requirement and just accessing it through business and getting the information they need, not having to think, I need to get it from a UAV, I need to go and get it from a satellite. It should just be, it's an information source. Yeah. And so it shouldn't matter where, what tools being used to collect as long as it's good quality data. That is where it's going. And I think people like, that's what makes it very exciting to work in, in the geospatial sphere. You mentioned drone deploy earlier. What do you think of the quality of data that's outputted from drone deploy itself? You know, there's a lot of our listeners who are going to be using platforms like that, and they might not necessarily know about the quality output. I've got a limited experience with some with some of these platforms and what they are producing. I think if I was to go back two or three years, quite quickly, but probably rubbish what was being produced. But I think now, actually, because the tools are becoming more mainstream. And actually, people are much more aware of the requirements to produce quality data. So simply flying a, an RGB camera with a blocking filter removed to get, you know, what they perceive to be colour infrared, it's not calibrated. Well, actually, people are now more aware in that actually they need calibrated data. They need to be thinking much more in terms of, yeah, let's call it a remote sensing way, not just let's just put a camera in the air. And actually, people got fixated with, you know, fixated with things like you know, producing NDVI. Well, MDVI is pretty crude. You know, there's, let, let's be more clever. MDVI is not going to solve the world. And I think a lot of these platforms have gone, right, let's jump on the interest on the bandwagon, let's produce these things, but let's also be quite progressive in the way that we operate. So the quality of the, the data products has now gone from image products to actually how do we take it to the next level, which is usable information that actually can be directly taken and, and analyzed or implemented. For our listeners who don't know, what is NDVI? NDVI is the Normalized Difference Vegetation Index. So um, effectively, it's a measure of greenness. So you, you ratio the near-infrared band against the red band. And what's it used for? Um, plant stress, productivity assessment, that kind of stuff. So if you were flying over a forest you know, or, or an area of, of, of crop, the plants with the highest level of greenness, a vigor, photosynthetic activity would give you a higher NDVI value. Have you ever flown a drone? Sadly not. You've never been tempted? You've never been with the people that you've been working with? Give us, give us the controls, let's have a go. Yeah, I, I constantly push that way and they always looked at me and said, I'm not sure, you know, which uh, I don't know what that says about me personally. So you, if someone handed you a remote control for a Phantom, you'd be up for having a little go on that, would you? I would. I mean, I think I've had a go with the Phantom and I was like amazed by how plug and play it was. I got given a, a very non-GPS enabled drone for when I left my previous company and then promptly crashed it straight away. I can appreciate the skill that does go into operating these things because, yes, they're very simple to use. and But when it goes wrong, that's where, where, the, where the skill comes in. Do you have any interesting stories with regards to operators you've worked with with drones? Anything that's really stood out in the past for you? With one of the guys who, who worked for Cal Lens, we were having a, a well-known um, industry player demonstrate their latest platform and the guys that turned up to fly it, they launched the platform and then lost a radio signal to it. So it was uh, automatically circling above. And when we pushed them and said, well, can we just land it manually? And they kind of went, oh, we're not capable of doing that. We'll have to wait for it to run out of battery and it'll land itself. 
and just basically saying, well, that's not good. So one of our guys just gives the control, you know, he's only 16 at the time and basically says, and just lands it on the spot right in front of them and just says, what are you worried about? You know, knowing, you know you, you've got to worry that you've got a lot of people who are trying to sell the technology and are they able to actually operate safely? Probably yeah. not. I mean, that's a few years ago now, I take it he's still flying drones, is he? Uh, yeah, I mean, he'd be, he'll be about 18 now, but I mean, I, if, if I was to look at his capability, you know, he, he's he's a real forefront of it operationally wise and, you know, we'll really push the way in the longer term how, how drones can, can be flown and operated safely. Yeah, I mean, certainly the PlayStation generation have got a head start on the rest of us. Just your thoughts on what the future for drones is going to be, especially in your space. Is there any usages that aren't there at the moment that you'd like to see or that you can envision drones being useful? I think you know, the, the way that they can be used proactively, I look at the market space, actually, there's too much competition between use drones or use satellites, and actually they should be used much more in, in combination. As prices come down, as the technology improves, the actual resilience and the whole system, the, the integration with into airspace, well, actually, then it gets very interesting because you think Amazon wanting to do their delivery service. You know, our vision for 2030 for the catapult, you know, has drones delivering parcels autom you know, automatically, embracing, you know, all, all these connected satellite systems. You think in terms of the market sectors, well, if you've got a drone on a farm, well, why is that drone not completely autonomous? You know, it's operating with artificial intelligence. It's using the latest satellite image to go and do a localized survey of a field. You know, if you, you want them to become real invisible technologies, because people are still, I would say, fixated on the technology. And the moment it becomes a bit like you go to a farm and you know a tractor's going to be there. So normalizing the technology. Yeah, yeah. Thing. Because it, they are the right tool. You know, it's like we will get towards, you know, autonomous cars autonomous vessels so so the future for drones is not the drone pilot it's autonomous systems that are carrying out daily tasks there'll always be a market there for somebody to go to site and do a localized survey because people like that person in the loop they like the physical contact with somebody but the whole world is becoming more autonomous and will become much more robotic and therefore we will embrace it and it'll be interesting to watch it happen so lastly, if, if anyone wants to find out more about our PSOC or what SA Catapult are doing, where can they go and find out this information? Can they get involved in any, these research projects or anything like that? In terms of RSP SOC, it's literally reaching out to the society, reaching out to the special interest group, going on the website. We have an annual conference every year. So this year's conference will be in London in early September. People should just get involved and get in touch with the society. The Catapult is an epicenter for the space community. And actually, you know, there are 11 catapults in the UK. They're all looking at the autonomous sector and saying, well, how do we embrace that? How do we engage? And how do we come up with a uniform vision? If they want to engage in the moment, it's just a simple case of you know, coming to Harwell, just out of Oxford, engaging with us. And we can actually start to appraise how you might use space, how you might want to actually grow your business in, in the right way. So we, we're actually working at the moment with a startup business looking at, you know, drone business for agriculture but it's next generation drones so it's not a, an imaging drone it's it's actually much more of a farm tool which makes it very exciting there's a lot of a lot of innovation there and we're helping them we may not be perceived to be the right business because we're a satellite applications category but actually it's sector knowledge it's market knowledge it's the resilient systems behind it and how do we enable the autonomy 
that's needed because if you're going to put a field robotic robot there, you can't be watching it all the time. You just need to let it do what it's got to do. So any plans to launch a drone into space from, with one of your satellites? Launch a drone into space? I mean, well, yeah, yes, it would be, would be, would be the answer because when you think about building satellites, the cost is in launching them. So if we can actually build a load of robots in space to manufacture satellites, the whole thing gets easier. Where do you launch your satellites from? Is it from Oxford? Or is it? So we don't launch satellites. Um, we support businesses who do. And so people like Clyde Space, who are based in Glasgow there, they manufacture small satellites, you know, CubeSats, 10 by 10 centimeter cubes. We also work with the big players like Airbus, sorry, satellites who are, you know, built for launching these million billion dollar satellites into space the issue at the moment is there's not enough launch capacity to put these satellites there so would people be surprised about the amount of satellites that are launched in the uk yeah yeah you would not be aware of of what's going on because i think people will associate a satellite with this you know, the size of a small building and actually now you've got satellites you know cubesats we're working on things like nanosats you know, even smaller than a 10 by 10 cube so we've got this whole film of satellites just surrounding the globe now yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that meteor's not getting through. It's just going to hit loads of stuff. Well, you never know where it's going to, and then that creates problem with all the space junk. But I mean, effectively, everybody's talking about mega constellations. You know, hundreds. You know, you've got, you've got planets in the US launching hundreds of satellites in one go, lifespan of a, you know six to eight months, and then they are effectively in such a low orbit that they burn up in the atmosphere. So I'm never going to be short of a satellite for my GPS connection then in the future. No, 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 definitely not. You know, we're moving to everybody talks about you know, can I get 4G, but it's all now. Do we move to 5G, and we're thinking about 6G and 7G. Is there anything you want to specifically talk about that we haven't spoken about yet? I'd say the, the big thing for the, the I'm doing is in my role as head of the observation now will be you know how do we look at standardisation of data. An image is an image, which is great, and then everybody has their own unique way of processing it. Well, actually, most businesses just want to tap into data. So how do we really look at return analysis ready data? And then you've got, you know, from a satellite perspective, 30 years of data that exists, and about 85% of it has never been looked at. How good is the data that they're using from Google Earth? Well, Google Earth is what? Most a lot of aerial photography. And then they're updating it with satellite data where it's patchy, and that data could be years old. Have you seen the new 3D? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, to me, Google Earth has been probably the biggest thing for the geospatial industry because it's got general public closer to our world than ever before. And therefore, their understanding of imagery and their want to use it has just grown exponentially. And that's forcing all the providers to actually think about their business model and how they access it. You know, I look at this business now with this bird eye who are uh, very much kind of Okay, we've got image catalogs that are there. People don't want to buy a big square of you know, 25 by 25 kilometer imagery. They want very localized understanding of the latest data that exists. So how do we how do they create a business that allows users to, to access that? So from a drone perspective, you think we're doing flight planning and we need to understand the latest obstacles that are potentially there. Well, if we're using Google Earth as backdrop and it's 2011 imagery, well, a hell of a lot's changed in seven or eight years. Well, it can change in a few weeks. So this business is saying, well, actually, for a very localized access point, for them, I think it's about £350 a month. Yeah. You can access the latest imagery wherever you are in the world through an API. Essentially load that into your mapping software. I don't know if they're quite there yet in terms of that access point, but that's where it's going. Well, that's a step change. That enables an operator to really understand their local environment, do the proper flight planning, not turn up to a site and go, 
where's that building come from? You know, <laughs> I mean, I get it loads because I work mainly in central London. So client said, "Well, this is the site." It's like, okay, great. Is there any change? No, no, it's like that. Turn up like, oh, that building's missing, but that one wasn't there yeah. before. You look at it, you look at think, well, we've got all these satellites going overhead. Why are we not using them to help them, you know, inform our decision making as a UAV community? Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for joining us on the pod. Hopefully, you'll join us again soon. Yeah, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to the UK Commercial Drone Podcast. Subscribe and please leave a review. For more details, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook.